Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. It's a post-NFL combine edition. I'll give you some thoughts on that. I'll talk about this CBA, Collective Bargaining Agreement, that's on the precipice of being sent to the 2,000, almost 2,000 NFL players. Bringing a new segment here, what's going on on the home front, what's going on personally with some some thoughts there. It's kind of a news segment every week. There's something going on in my life. I'll tell you about this one with involves dogs. More to come. Uh, this podcast, as always, is presented by BetOnline.ag. Of course, they're your online sportsbook experts. They're the exclusive partner of Podcast One, of which this podcast is a member of. Promo code PODCAST1. You get a 50% sign-up bonus today on BetOnline.ag. First rant is about the Combine. Just back from it, thoughts are fresh. Again, I mentioned I work with Gary Vaynerchuk. Some people don't know him. The people that do know him know him as Gary V. It's good to be around him in Indy, of course, work in the room. People know him. People don't know him. But obviously, a lot of football and business intersection points throughout my time uh, in Indianapolis this weekend. We at Vayner Sports had seven players testing at the Combine. And I was able to sort of interact with them. And the other thing you do at the Combine from an agent side, it's so weird because I did this from 10 years in the team side, is you meet with agents or in the agent world, you meet with teams and sort of go over who's on the free agent list. Again, we don't even need to talk about the idea of tampering. Everyone does it. Talk about which players are there, which players are going to be free, if there's going to be interest. I actually sat in on a couple meetings that we had with teams. I'm on the other side now. I was the one on the team side listening to who the agents have in terms of free agency and the draft. And in that meeting, there was the team negotiator from which I was. There, of course, was the personnel director. There was the GM. uh, And they were speaking for what they wanted and had some interest in a couple of our free agents. As far as being there for the draft guys, that was nice. You know, sort of being support and watching them work out. The workouts, as everyone knows, were at night, so we'd gather in a bar and sort of watch the 40s and the workouts. We had a couple receivers, a couple D-backs, a tight end, and actually two quarterbacks that did well. were very fast. Steven Montez from Colorado and Cole McDonald from Hawaii did very well. So it was fun watching that, interacting with the group. I, for the first time, really sat down with our agent group, got to know them, talked about our strategy going forward, and... Using me, I know people, they were kind of hesitant in using me because of all the things I have going on, and I think I can be a, more of a complimentary piece going forward with the Gary V and the Vaynerchuk and Vayner Sports and AJ Vaynerchuk, who I think has a really, really bright future in the agent world. A uh, young guy that's done multi, multi-million dollar deals on the marketing side for VaynerMedia, now bringing that personality, which I think is effusive, uh, to the to the business side of sports. It was interesting to me, I hadn't been to the Combine in a long time, to see sort of what's changed. And one thing that's obviously changed is you can't shake a stick and not sort of come across what I call the fitness side of the Combine. We know there's a ton of media. We know there's a ton of uh, players and coaches and agents. What's new to me is just the, the proliferation I don't know what to call them, trainers, gurus, speed people, people that work out in these camps. 
I'd mentioned that I saw a couple of our guys at a camp in Tampa run by Yo Murphy, former player in the NFL, watched them do linear drills. Other days they were doing agility and speed work and, and uh, side-to-side work and strength and all those things. And Yo was in the room when we were watching those 40s, and it just dawned on me how important it was, maybe as much as for the players as it was for him, uh, to see impressive results. Henry Ruggs, the speedy receiver from Alabama, was part of that camp. And, of course, he ran the fastest 40 at 427. Looked like he could have even gone faster. Uh, so that's a feather in the cap of Yo Murphy and that training group in Tampa. But I saw them all. I you know, met the guy from IMG who had said he had 17 players at the combine, including quarterback Justin Herbert. And these were all, you know, agents pay 20, 25 grand if the guy's there from December to the end of February. And then the guys go back after the combine. So it's really a boon for them. The agents are paying for it. Uh, the guy from IMG said Under Armour actually pays for some of these, which saves the agent money, but then the agents give the money to the player because they're not using it for payment. So that's how that works. So again, I met women, I met people that are doing gait analysis. I met people that are doing all this, uh, metabolic testing and training and blood work and all that. And, and then, you know, they were working out in a ballroom up in these hotels on this, you know, while they couldn't go over to the to the dome and work out yet. So it just seems like this has really changed. I mean, it's big business now preparing these guys for the combine. As much as people want to say the combine is a beauty pageant and not really worthwhile. Well, it's obviously worthwhile because it's, it's a cost of doing business for agents to pay for all these kids to come. Unfortunate thing happened to one of our clients, a tight end from USF named Mitch Wilcox. He kind of looked away, looked right, looked left and, didn't got got kind of sidetracked with a cameraman in his face. Anyway, the ball hit him in the eye, and he was uh, kind of disoriented after that. And the workout turned out Mitch. And there's you know the TMZ posted they all posted this poor kid got hit in the eye, but he had kind of a concussion, and he, I, I didn't see him. But our agent Brian saw him and looked like he got in a fight. It's really tough, you know, for that to come out of the combine. Seemed to be in good spirits. His parents were there. It was nice to see him come out of that. Hopefully, all's well that ends well with tight end Mitch Wilcox. We'll see what happens there. But really, an interesting week end at Indianapolis. I really hadn't been back to the Midwest in the cold. I've been back to the Midwest. Been back to Green Bay a couple times. You know, a few times. But we always go different times a year. Not this time of year. And I just remember now how cold the Midwest is. There's East Coast cold, which hadn't been that bad this year. And then there's Upper Midwest. I don't even know if you call Indianapolis Upper Midwest, but, you know, like Chicago, Green Bay. But this was cold. It was bone-chilling cold. And I was taking lifts everywhere to get like 12 blocks was $20 because it was surge pricing. Uh, You know, did a little bit of partying. I can't hang with these guys. They just meet with teams, support their players all day, then go out to bars. I couldn't do it, but I did go out one night, saw a lot of the coaches and execs kind of parting in Prime 47. Had a good visit with Ben McIndoo. Ben is a former, had the office next to me in Green Bay. He was our tight ends coach. Of course, he went on to be uh, head coach of the Giants, and Ben was done. He said, I'm done. He was going back to school to get a doctorate, a PhD, and of course, he decided, uh, the Jaguars called at the last minute, and now he's quarterbacks coach there he was actually living not too far from Jacksonville so it really worked out for Ben really good guy 
and great to see that. Um, other things from the combine, uh, just a lot of um, interaction. One of our clients was there. Alan Robinson, the wide receiver from the uh, Bears, love him. You know, that's a conversation where you're never going to have, and unless you're in a situation like that, got to know him, talk to him about life, about business, about my time at the Packers, about what it's like on the other side. Sort of a nice bonding session with Alan Robinson. Really enjoyed it, and uh, we're sort of uh, now we can be friends going forward. Like meeting all our clients. Obviously, I'd met Jordan Fuller, Austin Mack, and met Darnay Holmes. Really nice kid. Um, and great to see him have a really good combine. Deion Sanders, of course, very impressed with him. So all those things coming out of the week. I was only there a couple of days, but sort of the combine feel like you're there a week when you're there a day. Uh, I've remarked that the combine will probably move. I have no inside knowledge on this, but I do know covering the L.A. move and the Vegas move for ESPN. I know one of the things talked about was sort of an NFL operation out west more than just a stadium like the LA would hold the Olympics and and the World Cup and the Super Bowl and of course the combine was one of those things mentioned when we talked about the move to LA it would be much more than a football stadium and the combine was one of those things mentioned I know people are going to say Indy's great and everything's so central and you can move around and how dare they take it away from Indy but it's really the same argument I'm going to come up with next about the – I'm going to talk about next with the 17 games. Business always wins. And the business of the combine is going to be better in Vegas or L.A. than it is in Indy. Why, you say? Because first of all, more people want to go in nice weather. Let's be real about this. More people want to go to Super Bowls in nice weather than they wanted to go in Indianapolis or Minneapolis. More people want to go to the Combine when it's nice weather. And yes, it'll be more spread out, but the NFL will take advantage of that. Of course they will. Maybe they'll have D-backs in one area, and they'll have quarterbacks in another area. They'll have linemen in another area. They'll make it a spectacular rather than the sort of the way they've been doing forever. I know they moved it to nighttime now, and it's a little more up, you know, uh, modernistic than it used to be, but still... You know, the NFL knows how to do these things. Just like they move the draft around. Are they going to move the combine and out? Of course they are. Of course they are. So again, nostalgia about Indianapolis and the combine. Dude, it's cold. I mean, let's be real. You know, if you have a choice of L.A. or Vegas at the end of February compared to Indianapolis, I don't know not to disparage Indianapolis. It's not their fault. They're located where it's snowing and cold and, and while everyone's coming there and everyone's got to be inside and they're bundled up and their shoulders are hunched. I mean, again, this is, it's the same as the Super Bowl argument and it's going to go, it's going to move. It's going to move. I don't know inside knowledge about when and how, but it's going to move. Okay. That's my rant about the combine. Speaking of the combine, one thing I did there, I am now registered agent as part of my Vayner Sports deal, and I attended the agent meeting where they explained the proposed CBA. I've read about it. I've heard about it. I've sat in the meeting where uh, union leadership explained it. I continue to feel that this is not an equitable deal for the players to sign. 
I'm not going to do hot takes about winners or losers. It's the worst deal in history, all that. I just don't get it. I don't get the urgency. I don't get the fear mongering. I don't get why they would rush into a deal now that to me is not a deal to rush into. And here is the fear that's going on. And this is really coming from union leadership as well. If we don't sign this, the owners could very well not negotiate, lock us out, and we could be without football. Okay, let's examine that. We're sitting here at the beginning of March 2020. The existing CBA runs through the middle of March 2021. So we're about 380 days from the end of that deal. Okay, 380 days. You really think if the players say no to this deal, the owners are are closing their briefcase and we're done. While they continue to want to do contracts with the new with the media partners, while they worry about a downturn in the economy, whether it's coronavirus, the, the election, whatever, while they want a 17th game on the schedule by next year with the new TV deals, you really believe that the owners aren't coming back to the players if they turn this down? Come on. And then as for this Armageddon about missed games and two years without football, listen, you know when the next time we could miss a regular season game if they don't have a CBA? Mid-September, early September 2021. What is that? Uh, Six, three, uh, 19 months from now. 18, 19 months from now. Okay? So this fear is based on a complete lockout for six months starting in a year and the players and owners not being able to negotiate a deal and missing a game in September of 2021, a good 18 plus months from now. Okay, we can lose the fear mongering. My big issues with this deal, we've said them before, I'll say them again. We know that player leadership has said forever, they'll weigh no how we play more than 16 games. And I said, okay, you can say that, but you'll probably give in because that's the only way you get a CBA done. It's the only thing you have of true value that the owners want. So here we are. But it's but the more I think about it, it's just a money grab. What is in it for the players to give the 17th game? Well, I'd do it, I guess, for a ton of money, but they're not really getting a ton of money. They do that, and they don't even get a percentage increase on the revenue split in 2020. When do you do a contract, and they say, trust me, you'll get more money in a year, but nothing now? Why wouldn't the owners even offer an increase from 47% in the first year? To me, that's just rubbing the player's nose. You're going to take an 11-year deal. We're not going to increase the revenue split in year one. Oh, we'll increase it when we go to uh, 17 games in 2021, and we'll get you halfway back to where you were before at 50-50. We'll get you to 48-5. Um, okay. As I say, so far, that's okay. All right, two years in, you're getting to 48-5. And then it stops. Then there's no increase. No increase in 2022, 2023, 2024. It goes on until 2030. So wait a minute. You want the players to sign a deal where you get an increase in the second year. And that never stair steps higher. 
not to 49, not to 49.5, not to 50.50, even if it got to 50.50 by 2028, and you only have two years, the owners have to share it as equal partners. And it's not even equal. The 47 or 48 or 48.5 is not really 47, 48, because they're exclusions from all revenue. You think the players share in stadium naming rights? think the players share in some of the suite revenue at stadiums, sky suites, boxes? No. Is it a good deal? I mean, yeah, the 100,000 increases on minimums, again, that's strategic negotiating. Get players to bite it early money. You know, 100 million this year. Well, that works out a little over 3 million a team. Okay? Let's put some perspective on that. I just think that there's nothing that grabs me. And here is the thing. And I'm writing about this. It'll be in, out in Sports Illustrated this week. Union leadership will tell you that the 17th game, as I said, and knowing going into this, is, was a non-negotiable for them. Fine. Okay. The owners aren't doing a deal without a 17th game. Great. Good for them. Where, players, is your non-negotiable? And don't tell me it was we had to get to 48-5. No. Why is your non-negotiable not either a three- or four-year opt-out out of this deal so you could renegotiate, as the owners did in their last deal, where they opted out to get the deal they currently have? Or why isn't your non-negotiable a 50-50 split? If the owners can have a non-negotiable of a 17th game, which has never existed in the history of the sport, why can't the players have a non-negotiable of 50-50, which existed 10 years ago, before the owners got their opt-out, which they won't, owners won't give here? Listen, I'm not saying leadership of the NFLPA didn't try, but why can the owners impose a non-negotiable a year before the deal is even up, and the players can't? I just don't get it. Yeah, the players got more gives in terms of the health and safety, but that's good optics for the owners. You know, even less time in the offseason, which the coaches hate, less padded practices, the coaches hate, five-day acclimation period, the coaches hate, you know, basically a reduction of marijuana testing. I'm not sure why it's in there at all. The increases on the minimum spending are nominal at best. We know seven teams right now haven't even hit the minimum for this tranche of four years. I mean... I'm trying to look at this deal and say, where's the big gain? And people could say the big gain is these guys get $100 million this year, all these in minimum increases. Well, okay, I get it. You're trying to attract the rank and file. But here's the deal. Think about this. The union leadership negotiated this deal. The executive council, which I think the union leadership reports to, or I don't know the structure hierarchically, but they're against this. The ones that are voted to be the top ranking members of the union, the executive council, are against this deal. You've heard about a 6-5 vote, then we heard about a 7-4 against vote. As for the player reps, yeah, they got the majority they needed to send it to out to the players, 17 to 14 with one abstention, but that's hardly a ringing endorsement. That's lukewarm at best. You know, a 32 player reps, a slight majority. 
it seems like a hell of a way to go into a 11, not 10, 11 year deal through 30, 2030, which again, I don't understand why so many years. That only helps the owners. They want cost certainty. But again, I'll leave it at this. Forget the fear. Okay. Owners want TV deals, number one. TV deals and owners, TV networks and owners are wanting this 17th game. Otherwise, the owners wouldn't be pushing for it. That can't happen without the players. The players have more leverage than you are led to believe, and I'm led to believe, and they have to use it. Okay, what's the worst that can happen? Okay, the owners rub their noses in it. They don't get their 17th game. Okay. <laughs> They'll play 16 games for the deal they have this year. And then we'll figure it out next year when they really want 17 games. This is leverage. I'd never say this. I never think the players have leverage. But the fact they want that extra game, they want extra inventory, which really does nothing for the players, gives them a little more money. But you know what? What do we hear every year? Every week we hear, and we, and even media, which seems to be okay with this deal, has said for years, oh my God, the carnage. How can they dare think of a 17th game? It's not just players saying that. We've heard that universally. Yet here we are. It's not enough. It's not enough. So in sum, on the CBA, as it goes out to the 2,000 players around the country or around the world that have to vote for it, they get a simple majority, they get a new CBA. Maybe they'll listen to this. You know, I think obviously the NFL doesn't like me hearing this. They want the deal to pass. Union leadership probably doesn't like hearing this. They want the deal to pass. The question is, I'm not looking out. You know, I'm on the player's side here, which again, people say, well, you're in management 10 years. I'm not really for one side or the other. I'm for equity because I've learned that bad deals don't work. You know, I got over on agents and players when I started at the Packers, came back to haunt me. Players were upset agents. I lost relationships with players and agents. And I learned later in my time at the Packers, I was giving away easier deals, not harder, because I knew relationships mattered. And there's no, you know, lopsided deals never work. They always work out in enmity. And you're going to have all these arbitrations and litigations and people upset. You know, I would say to this deal, it's got to be more equitable. It's got to be shorter. It's got to be more for giving up that 17th game. And of course, I didn't mention a playoff game. There's nothing about franchise transition tags. I mean, it's just something where you look at this and you say, okay, where's the big get for the players? Why can't the owners even give them an extra percentage, half a percentage in the year of negotiation, 2020? And I know even friends of mine are saying, oh, it's a good deal. Why are you, why are you saying this? Well, I can't see it. You know, I've been, I've been an agent. I am an agent again. I've been a team executive. I've been an analyst. I'm a sports law professor. I'm a sports business professor. I'm supposedly an expert on this. I just don't see it. And I'm not alone. Again, the people, the people that run the union, that are the executive council, are against this deal collectively. Think about that. Okay, so when players look at it, I hope they talk to the reps. I hope to talk to the executive council. I hope they're not in fear of what could happen if they turn it down. There's a long, long time and eternity before it matters. Okay, and deadlines for action were nowhere near a deadline.
That's my second rant. Let me go to our uh, sponsor of Gay's Bet Online. A lot going on this week that you can jump in the action with. Of course, great NBA games. I love them. My Sixers, without three starters now, without Ben, without Joel, and without Josh Richardson, are at the Lakers. Good luck with that, even though Shake Milton, man, 39 points against the Clippers. That's happening. You got Milwaukee at Miami. You got Brooklyn at Boston. You got uh, the Clippers are at Houston this week. Key games in college, NC State, Duke, Maryland, Rutgers, my Nova team. I went and saw them Saturday. Unfortunately, lost to Providence. They're at Seton Hall. What a game that is. Kentucky, Florida. UFC, we got UFC 248, and we got XFL. Of course, you can always get in on that action. So visit betonline.ag. Don't forget that promo code podcast1. For your 50% sign-up bonus today, betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. That'll do it for Brant's Rants edition about the Combine, about the proposed CBA once again. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports podcast. I appreciate all the comments on Apple Podcasts, any rankings, comments you can give. Truly appreciated. Thanks to my musician, son for the music here, Sam Brant, and my producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt, and we'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.